Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Colony Drop, a Gundam podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Isaac. This is your favorite Gundam podcast, where we talk about everything from Gunpla, anime series, OVAs, the Gundam music, like the openings and the exit songs, and also things like Gundam lore and even Gundam manga. Isn't that right, Brian? That is right. We specialize in Gundam manga from the 1990s, which no one reads. <laughs> <laughs> They're classics. What can I tell you? I mean, you have to, you have to be specialized and a, a true fan to appreciate them. <laughs> Isaac, today we are continuing our review of Mobile Suit Crossbone Gundam, a classic which the fandom loves, but has never gotten an anime series. So we're, we're trying to see what it's all about. It's part of our UC Next 100 journey, trying to see what's out there, what Sunrise may have in store for us in the coming years. Uh, so today, listeners, I think we're going to talk about Volumes 3 and 4. And I think, Isaac, you just finished Volume 4, am I right? That's right. And I got to say, last time I was a little lukewarm on wanting to see this as a series. But now that I'm done with Volumes 3 and 4... I'm all aboard seeing this done as a, a full animated series. You break this up into separate movies, make it a whole 50-episode series. Whatever you do, just get it done, because, man, it this story is just it's really well-written, isn't it, Brian? It's heating up, man. It's heating up. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a few tropes in there, but I think overall it's, it's very well done. It's very well put together. You can tell that it was planned out. Took some unexpected twists this time, so I'm excited to get into it. Excited to see what you think. Launch us off, Brian. Kick us off with the, uh, I guess, the synopsis where we left off last time, right? All right. So, listeners, if you want the background info, you can go listen to the part one review. We're just going to jump right into the, the review and recap today. Last time, Isaac, at the end of volume two, the Crossbone Vanguard had just rammed their mothership, the Mother Vanguard, into Crux Dogates headquarters on Io, a moon of Jupiter. And they had basically just rammed it into his front door, into his house, and just wrecked his face. And uh, he wasn't super perturbed by this. Instead, he said, I believe, let them come. And then the, the volume just kind of ended. So that's right where we pick up here. One of the first things we see, Isaac, is Bernadette, our favorite chibi stowaway, running through uh, the, the, the IO facility, the, the IO base. And she's getting past security, Isaac. She's, she's by herself. Last time we saw her, she had stolen a truck. She had stowed away again or, or had gone somewhere. So she's back, and she's she's on IO, and uh, she's she's flashing her necklace like a little security badge, and they're letting her through. So, Isaac, your your princess theory is is coming true. I can feel it already at this point. I could see that trope coming a mile away. The moment I saw jewelry and like a young girl, I was like, of course she's a princess. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> a princess never leaves home without her her royal jewelry. Right, without a piece of jewelry that'll instantly identify you to, like, the enemy guards. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked, because she got in. Uh, we don't particularly know why she's going to get in, but she got in. We don't waste much time here, Isaac, because the Crossman Vanguard, they're climbing yeah. down. They're going down level by level, clearing that thing out. Blitzing in with infantry, storming the castle. Leaving no prisoners, either, because we get a shot of him and his... I'm going to call it his throne room, I think, even though doesn't it call it like his quarters or his office or something? Yeah, I mean, this is clearly a throne room. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty intimidating, right? Even by a bad guy's standards? Yeah, but fortunately he decided to cram it full of guards to <laughs> try to protect himself now that the crossbone are uh, actually in the building. <laughs> and I don't know why, Isaac, but I had it in my mind that they would storm in as, as infantry, 
right? Because they yeah. had, they had gotten their guns out. But then all of a sudden, the X one just punches a hole through the wall, <laughs> and like the whole Gundam shows up. And I was like, oh well, Dogati's screwed now. Like, what's he gonna do? <laughs> Yeah, the guards in the throne room really weren't expecting that to happen either. <laughs> no, I think they immediately knew that they were kind of boned here. There's a great dramatic shot where Kincaid jumps out of the X-1, and he has this giant gun, which looks like exactly like the, uh, if anyone's ever, I'm re- really going to date myself here, but if anyone's ever played GoldenEye 007 for the Nintendo, the Nintendo 64, it looks exactly like the AR-33 from that game. It's this oversized assault rifle. Uh, that's just a beast and he immediately you know tells Dogati hey it's over surrender or die I thought that panel was great uh, what did you think of those thick guns Isaac they're heavy duty they're they're storming the castle guns Brian <laughs> <laughs> it's as big as him <laughs> yeah <laughs> they, they are massive they're built for one thing and that is destruction I do have a question though here Isaac because to the listeners the throne in the room looks like a bunch of very like sort of wide broad stairs with guards all over and then just in the middle there's this dude in this aquarium right which is dogeti does the crossman vanguard even know what dogeti looks like like does kincaid really know that the guy in the aquarium is the most important or is that just a fair assumption if you were to walk into that room i would assume it's a fair assumption he's probably in like a central location right in the fortress they probably were encountering more and more guards as they were getting towards there and I guess whatever scan or analysis of the building they did before they had the Gundam attack that specific room, they probably made their best guess and say, he's probably here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite parts of this scene was that Tobia started asking all of our questions, Isaac. He was like, yeah. why is this guy in a tank? What is that liquid? Is it water? Is he even a human? <laughs> they really had like no idea. This is their first time meeting him. So it came as much of a shock to them as it did when we were reading and we first saw Crux Dogadi and we had no idea why they were fishing the tank and why he's blowing bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> so Dogadi laughs and Kincaid just blows him away, just starts firing. And because Kincaid starts firing, the other crossbone people that came in there with him, they start firing too. There's In my head, I'm thinking, wow, I mean, there's not going to be anything left of this guy, Isaac. They unloaded 100 bullets minimum on this dude in an aquarium. I don't know. What did you think at that moment? I was thinking it can't be ending like this <laughs> because <laughs> right. we had so many more volumes. I was thinking uh, he's going to like, I don't know, a hologram. It's going to be revealed to be a hologram or something mm. was going to happen. And I was somewhat in the ballpark. Right, Brian? <laughs> you were right because as the smoke is clearing and Dogati's, you know, what you would expect to be Dogati's corpse, it turns out to be alive and in place of a human, a flesh and blood corpse you have this sort of android skeleton with the skin blown off like you see in the terminator movies you know when maybe arnold takes a bad hit to the face that's kind of like what we get here and the the terminator dogati jumps at kincaid and he's about to kill him but then zabine of all people helps kincaid and uh knocks the head off of our terminator dogati here he was a robot the whole time Right, so that's what's going through your mind, right? Like, was this yeah. dude a robot the entire time? Has he has he always been a robot? Is this just a fake? Is like is the real guy somewhere else? So we get an answer here. We still hear Crux's voice though. He starts talking again from somewhere behind the tank. So our our heroes walk through, and inside behind his little aquarium is this enormous device, this contraption. How would you describe this contraption, Isaac? Imagine like six giant test tubes. They look like they're filled with like brain matter mm-hmm. and they're surrounding the central column that looks like a um, kind of your typical giant sci-fi supercomputer. 
we reached very Metroid Mega Man levels of <laughs> of like boss revelation. <laughs> we did, we did. Crux immediately begins to tell us that he's been using this device to transfer his personality into nine bio unit, you know, copies of himself. And right. I'm, I'm assuming what we just saw was a bio unit. A mandroid. <laughs> a mandroid. Wow. <laughs> Isaac, I got major Emperor Palpatine vibes from this. Yeah, especially now, right? Where it's like, oh, that wasn't even my real body. Or, you right. know, I, I'm going to survive a death. <laughs> right. But even before Rise of Skywalker, I mean, Emperor Palpatine had done that in, in the legacy novels, right? Right. Yeah. He was very good at cloning himself and then cloning himself again and again. Do you remember when those books were written? I'm thinking Crossbone here is in like the what, mid, to, mid to late 90s. It was what, 90, 94, 97, I think, if I, if I recall. Yeah. Is that around the same time as those Palpatine books? Yeah, I think that Dark Empire came out in the 90s. It was all the rage. Yeah. They're very well done. It's a pity they weren't done in movie form. That's <laughs> a, that is a different podcast. <laughs> and I, I got to imagine that Star Wars wasn't the only thing to do this plot, right? Where the big bad clones or splits himself. Right. Do you think that was just an in storyline back then? Um, I, I, I'm trying to think, like, do you remember the whole fanfare about Dolly the Lamb, right? Dolly the Sheep, the mm-hmm. first clone animal and all that. Oh, true, yeah. I think this was all happening about the same time, right? Mm, or that makes sense. A few years before. So, like, we had newsworthy evidence about cloning. So, I guess it was only normal that that would translate over and appear in fiction. That makes perfect sense, actually. Yeah. Because I was thinking as I was reading this, I was like, this is something we just saw in Rise of Skywalker, and we've seen in a few other things, too. I have to remember that I'm reading it in 2021, not in 1994 or whenever this came out, 96, I don't remember. So it definitely would have felt probably a little fresher had you read it back when it came out. But the one thing I noticed, Isaac, maybe this is a question to the listeners, if Isaac doesn't know, but so Crux Dogati... His first name is Crux. He just split himself into nine, ten copies. There's a thing in Harry Potter called Horcruxes that Voldemort <laughs> uses. Is Horcrux a common term, or is wow. J.K. Rowling just a Gundam fan? I don't know. I'm going to say she's a Gundam fan. You think so? I don't know. It's very similar. Uh, Zeon's green. Silitherin's green. <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I tried searching Horcrux. I didn't see a whole lot of talk about it outside of Harry Potter, so I thought maybe it is an original term that she made up. It's a very interesting coincidence. Anything's possible. So Crux reveals that only one of the now ten Cruxes is the real original Crux Dogati. And in addition to that, he reveals that the Crossman Vanguard's too late because the Jupiter fleet has already left. They're already on their way to Earth. And by the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow up the base in five minutes. <laughs> so, yeah. wow, he really took the wind out of our hero's sails here, Isaac. It's very final boss, <laughs> right? He makes the base reactor go critical. <laughs> yeah, this is the escape mission at, at the end of, you know, your sci-fi video game. Right, exactly. Was there only a timer because he actually hadn't quite escaped yet? Like, why not just blow up the base right away? I think one of the characters, an officer, maybe it's Seabook, or, uh, sorry, Kincaid. <laughs> <laughs> one of the mentions... The only way to blow up a base this size, they'd have to just make their reactor go critical. Yeah. So I would assume there's a certain time period where the reactor needs to actually, you know, build up energy or cause itself problems before it can actually detonate. Okay, that's fair. I can get on board with that. They're heating up the oven, Brian. They're preheating <laughs> the oven, all right? You, you can't just make it go to 350. You have to wait a little bit, and then it's 350. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Barrow would know that, being a baker and all. So, you know, Crux 
Pull's kind of the ultimate card here. I mean, he's blowing up the base. He doesn't care about the thousands of his own troops that are stationed here. Kincaid immediately starts trying to find a way to deactivate this self-destruct. He, he asks, like, a random admiral in the room, <laughs> like, how do I shut it down? Like, as if this dude would know. He half-helped. I mean, <laughs> he's got a foot in the grave, so... Yeah, he, he, he foreshadowingly says there'd be a code and it would have to be someone close to Dogati. And now that Dogati's wife is dead, which I think was new information, yeah, you know, no one would know the code. And so Kincaid's like, ah, you know, damn it. So he takes off. His thought, Isaac, is, well, I'm going to intercept the reactor. But he gets stopped by some Vagons along the way, you know, the, the, the old Rolly guys from Volume 2. He's arguing with these Vagons. And they say a very cool line here, Isaac. Did you catch this? They say, the thunder of justice for all those who defy Jupiter. And I thought, wow, that is a superb motto. That's a great line, yeah. They need to, I don't know, put that on their merchandise. Maybe they'll squeeze that into like the intro song or something. I don't oh, know. Oh, it could. Yeah, it could be good. And then we get your moment, Isaac. We get the princess moment, right? Uh, the reveal. Kincaid went down that shaft to go get the reactor, but Tobias stayed to try to stop the timer. And I don't know why they were all like, Tobia, you can figure it out. Like this poor student, he's like 15 trying to stop this nuclear countdown timer. Yeah. But someone walks up and puts a code in, Isaac. Who was it? This individual is wearing a Jupiter Empire spacesuit, if I'm correct. And when she walks into the room, the crossbone troops in there assume they're going to fight because a bunch of Jupiter troops walking with guns, but they just take like they're uh, standing at attention positions. She walks right up to the area where the crossbone troops are and reveals herself to be Bernadette. Yes. She reveals her real name to be Tateneth Dogati, the daughter of Crux Dogati. And she says, you know what, I put this code in because my father lied to me. He told me that the people of Earth and the space pirates are barbaric, but I've seen them and I've seen no such thing. So she's no longer on her father's side. And the dying bio unit of Dogati calls her, you know, to Tenneth. So you know that she's, she's telling the truth here. Yeah. What's left of that head? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's your princess moment, Isaac. You saw it coming. Space princess confirmed, listeners. <laughs> A huge ship then launches from the Jupiter colony loaded with something called death, which I presume is the, is the gas. Is this, is this all the gas reserves, Isaac? Well, it's not going to Earth to make peace and, you know, hand, hound out teddy bears. So, yeah, I, I would assume the gas is still on there unless, I don't know, Karis found some other way to transport it. Who knows? This kind of leaves the Crossman Vanguard in a bit of a, a bad spot, right? Their ship is busted. The Jupiter Empire is already left without them. The plot kind of rushes forward a little bit here. I wasn't really clear exactly how they got to where they got next, but the, the story just kind of says Bernadette, being Jupiter Princess, convinced all the people that Crux just tried to blow up to help them resupply the ship, and Barra launches the Mother Vanguard, which apparently now works again, out in pursuit of Dogati onward to Earth. Did you feel like that part was a little rushed? Yeah, a bit, but to move the story along after we've had this huge battle game to Io we got to leave the Jupiter sphere, right? Because yeah. they, to an extent, they kind of beat the final boss. Right. They wiped out the fleet protecting Crux's little fortress, and now they got to actually chase the real threat, which was this ship all along, yes. which they, I mean, I don't know how they missed the ship. It's apparently <laughs> massive. They had no idea it was being constructed. Come on. Uh, <laughs> anyways, yes, now it's a hot pursuit, Brian. Yeah. The Crosswing Vanguard's goal here is obviously going to be to get to Earth before the Jovians do, or at least intercept the Jovians before they can get to Earth and end it. We flash to what we assume to be uh, on board that, that ship that has left, the Jupiter 9. 
The Jupiteris looks like the other Jupiter-class ships that we've seen very infrequently in the universal century in the past. I don't know, what would you say? These long... They always have a really skeletal appearance to them. Very cargo-looking, because there's always like these modules on the outside, these these globes and spheres. It has a very Jupiter look that Federation ships, uh, Xeon ships, and any other faction, they really don't look like this. So it's very long and skeletal, kind of sinister looking in a way. Each time we see it and the more we learn about it, it's just more massive in scale. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so aboard this ship, we see Karis appointing Burns to something called the Death Gale Squadron. That's a pretty good name for a squadron. How, how would you rate that name? That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those instances, though, where, like, you know, you, clearly you guys have to be self-aware that you're villains if this is the <laughs> name that you're giving yourself, right? Yeah. Right up there with Midnight Fenrir. Like, this is not a heroic name. <laughs> Very true. So apparently Burns, you know, his his efforts in Volumes 1 and 2 have been recognized, and he's now being appointed to this Death Gale Squadron, and he's being given a new suit. There are three very odd-looking mobile suits in this hangar, and there are two others there with him. There's a younger person who we will later find out is named Geary. He or she is the leader of the Death Gale Squadron. I couldn't actually tell if uh, he was a boy it, or girl. I'm pretty sure it's a she. It's a yeah. she? Okay. And then there's the, the second person is this uh, woman with, you know, great space cleavage. Her name is probably the best name in the series. Her name is Rosemary Raspberry. <laughs> I love it. I mean, if you're in a force called, like, Death Gale, and, like, part of your name is Raspberry, you must be, like, sick, right? <laughs> like, you, you do sick things to your enemies or something, you yeah. know? Like, th- that's not a, a sane person's name. <laughs> you love pain, yes. So then we flash over to the uh, Mother Vanguard, and here we have the scene where Bernadette you know, comes clean to the crossbone vanguard and is basically like, sorry, I lied to you. And she's all worried they're going to punish her. And Barrett's just kind of like, ah, that's cool. Don't worry about it. But Zabine, we get to see his thoughts. And he's like, oh, well, she's going to make a good hostage then. And that's when you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Zabine was like in a corner of the hallway, right? Something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Skulking about as usual. Not Yeah. Nothing good is ever going through the minds of the person standing in the corner of a hallway with their arms crossed. Yeah. <laughs> and with an eye patch. Can never trust someone with an eye patch. Yeah. Oh, Zabine. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel, though, about that? I mean, I guess most of Zabine's plotting has been in, in his mind, in his thoughts that, yeah. have, that have been revealed to the reader outright. I feel like we've been told rather than shown most of these. Is that a problem? I think that's a problem. And also, this is kind of part of why it's a problem. This is a Bine feels different than the one we saw in F91. I know a lot's happened since then. But this one's almost too sinister compared to the Zabine in F91 that almost seemed like he was pretty dismissive of the whole idea of an aristocracy and he was almost a punch clock villain or at least, you know, self-interested enough that he would go along with Cosmo Babylonia and Crossbone, but ultimately he probably didn't think that much about it. This one, though, he's gung-ho about aristocracy and, you know, he's got to carve his piece out and all that. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting development for sure. Now, once you know that Zabine's on the hostage train, you're like, whoa. But you flash right to uh, Bernadette and Barrett taking a shower together. Of course. <laughs> Gotta have one gratuitous scene every volume, apparently, where, yeah. Is it me, or is this also, like, a massive shower? Like, this is a shower you could pit, like, eight adults standing. <laughs> hey, you know, those aristocrats, they do weird things in showers, yeah. man. You know, she, a lot of space. she got the captain's shower, yeah. <laughs> They essentially bond over being princesses. 
but they do end up putting Bernadette under lock and key. Tobia comes yeah. to see her, though, through this little window and confesses that he <laughs> made this big plan for them to escape together if the Crossman Vanguard punished her by putting bombs all over the ship. And now he's <laughs> now he's uh, bummed because he has to take them all down and it's going to take a while. Which, this is played off as a joke, but it's actually going to come back like pretty seriously later on, Isaac. Yeah, I suppose so. Also, is it me, Brian, or does every starship, whether we're in Star Wars or Star Trek, they always have like these ventilation systems or maintenance tunnels that are like small enough to crawl through? <laughs> you know what? F91 outright stole the the Imperial March. Yeah, you got me there. Yeah. I got to think that they're just thinking, look, Star Wars is a successful franchise. Let's steal what we can and ventilation shafts are everywhere. <laughs> If you're a veteran in the military and it's okay, like you won't ruin your clearance or anything like that, comment below if like in submarines and aircraft carriers and stuff, there's actually are maintenance tunnels <laughs> that you like, you have to crawl through to like access a computer's like wiring or something like that. <laughs> I don't think these exist. You know, wouldn't you want something where you stand to maintenance? Like, <laughs> I mean, space is probably at a premium, so maybe... You know. got me there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But then we get a shot outside the ship, Isaac, where the crew is still trying to fix the sail. They also reveal that, hey, we are 10 days behind the Jupiter Empire when, when Crux Dugati left. And yeah. the only way they can catch them is if they fix this sail to enable the Manofsky Drive, which apparently makes allows them to travel very quickly. Fortunately, though, <laughs> a lot of the survivors of the base, I guess when it became clear that they were going to be sacrificed... They uh they kind of agree to help repair the ship. <laughs> yeah. So we get we get some early cooperation between Jupiter and Crossbone survivors. It wouldn't take much to convert me if my leader just tried to blow me up and then left. Especially since Crossbone gave them like uh, medical supplies, right? So as as soon as you're patched up to thank them, you're gonna help repair their ship. Yeah, true. So Kincaid, he's one of the people out there trying to help on the ship, and he actually starts worrying that hey, even if we catch the Jupiters. We might actually lose that battle, but that's not actually what he's worried about. He's actually worried about like discontent on the ship, and his worry comes true very quickly because we flash over to our mechanic friend, who I think his name is Uman. Yeah, chief mechanic that's a new type and apparently knows all about it. And he's been tasked with watching Zabine to make sure that he's not up to something, but Zabine clearly knows that he's being watched, and he like knocks this dude out. Well, no, Zabine was smart because he continued walking, oh, and then yep. he just had like one of his little goons knock the guy out. <laughs> mm. You're right, you're right. With like the one two-by-four that's on the ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so poor Uman goes down, and Zabine just starts leading a mutiny right, right away. That was the start of the mutiny. Yeah. Like, rapidly, him and his forces have taken Bernadette, and he has also taken over the bridge. And Isaac, he's got a lot of people helping him. So I guess from that, yeah. we are supposed to assume that at least a significant portion of the current Crossman Vanguard employee base is composed of some of his own aristocratic forces that he brought with him when he joined with Barra. Yeah. Either these are new people that got converted over to his ideas or his sway because there's going to be something in it for them. Or, yeah, they were OG from Cosmo Babylonia and they won the Civil War there came on the ship, and they have a general loyalty to Zabine. And then he spouts off his, his bad guy idea, right? So what is that idea, and how do you, how do you rate his bad guy idea, you know, in your, in your bad guy mind? It's a pretty bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
in a shocking twist is that Beanie wants an aristocracy and he thinks working with Jupiter will bring that about. Clearly, he isn't aware of how brutal they are and closed off, so I don't think they'd view him as an equal, which he later finds out is true. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, the idea of kind of turning over the ship is a really poor idea. He did kind of articulate, though, yes, Jupiter is clearly a, a hierarchical society that's more or less an aristocracy. I mean, they have a princess. Right. Crux might be called president, but for all effects, he's a king, an emperor. So, yeah, it's it's essentially an aristocracy, more or less. But uh, I don't know. This this seems so out of left field for Zabine, you know, because we know the threat posed by them by now at least, is some type of gas attack, right? Right. So Zabine in F91, and this goes back to him being pretty changed from F91, he wasn't on board with the bug attack in F91. Right. So now he's okay with Jupiter Empire gassing the Earth sphere. Even for the purpose of building an aristocracy, it's a little out of left field. Right. I think he's trying to have his cake and eat it too a little bit in some cases. He's rushing. (laughs) He does say that there are some differences between what he wants and and what the Jupiter Empire does, but he thinks that if he can get into leadership, that he can change those differences over time. I mean, I've always called him an opportunist, but maybe he's also just been wanting this so long that he's overestimating his own ability here. Like, has he become too arrogant at this point, and he's in over his head? Yeah, absolutely. He sees a fleet about to take out Earth, and they've got weapons... And he wants to be an aristocrat. He probably thinks that this is his time. Because playing yeah. second fiddle to, you know, Kincaid and, and Barra probably isn't going to get him his own throne. Yeah. I mean, I guess it makes sense in terms of is there a better opportunity to mutiny other than now? Probably not. I just don't know if it's going to work out for him. <laughs> you know what? If Dorel was alive and in this story and he was doing this stuff, it would be perfect Right, mm-hmm. that would have made perfect sense. We'd be like, of course, this guy was kind of playing low key and trying to, you know, restart the aristocracy and all that. Right. But Zabine, eh, it feels a little bit out of left field. Got but you know, what? we're gonna go with it. He'd been through a lot. And now he's power hungry and greedy. This is what's happening. So here we go, Zabine the traitor, and uh, you find out very quickly that he is like in the super traitor territory now because he's already called Karis here. So Karis shows up in this ship. Which I also have yeah. a question about in terms of like ship speed and ship math, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Actually, were they implying that the ship was cloaked? Because like it came out of nowhere. <laughs> I so I agree, it came out of nowhere. They turned around and they saw the ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was cloaked, but that's what okay. I was confused about because they said that in the beginning. I thought, unless this is just misdirection on the author's part here, in which case I guess it worked. You know, we saw Karis and the Death Gale squad on what you assume to be the Jupiter's Nine, which they said was 10 days ahead of them. But now they're here with the Mother Vanguard, who's trying to beat the Jupiter Empire to Earth by fixing their sail so they can use the Minofsky Drive, which no one else has except them because they said it was top secret. But somehow, if Karis was on the Jupiter's, that means he's 10 days away from them as well, but he made the trip back quicker. I guess maybe they weren't on the Jupiter's in the very beginning of the chapter. I was about to say, they either came from the Jupiter's or they came from the Jupiter sphere. Yeah, so. they had to have come from the Jupiter sphere, I think. Maybe they're just trying to rendezvous sometime with the Jupiter's? Probably. Maybe, yeah. Crux got out of there as quickly as he could because he lost his base. And then the Jibia, I don't know, probably gave instructions, hey, follow us and 
by the way, we got this thing going on with a spy, yeah. <laughs> more or less a traitor on the uh, the Crossbone Vanguard. Work it out. Take the Jibia and work it out and then catch up with us. <laughs> yeah. So now it's looking real terrible for our Crossbone Vanguard pals because not only has Zabine betrayed them, but now Karis and his Death Gale squadron have shown up in a brand new ship. Zabine starts negotiating with Karis, and Karis wants him to turn over Bernadette first. And he agrees that, you know, I will prosecute all pilots except you, and we will agree that Bear will be safe. And Bear is like, why do you want me alive? Like, what is, how does that make sense? And he's like, well, I want you to be the aristocratic queen. And she says, but I don't, I don't like aristocracy. I gave that up, like, you know, 10 years ago. Like, what, yeah. why, are you still, you're still hanging on to this? This is exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> like, we've already been down this road. But then Zabina makes a good point. He's like, well, you know, your actions say otherwise. You deploy your forces and shields you know you don't even fight and i was like mm, you know he's got a point there she kind of does act a little bit like a queen yeah i'm sure f9 was a, was a difficult experience but she is a trained pilot he did train her she yeah. did fairly well in the mobile suit but now she really just stays on the bridge yeah her skills have kind of regressed like we haven't seen her get into a mobile suit yet at least maybe she does later on but she did very well in f91 eh, she wants to transition to being a more organizational leader you oh, know she's management only now Yes, exactly. <laughs> but even that has problems, right? As the uh, the helmsman found out. Yes. God, I should have I should have been paying more attention to like the actual officers that joined Zabina. Maybe he was among them. Oh, wow. could be. Yeah. And in classic Tobia fashion, you know, the guy, the kid that's not supposed to be here, right? He's the one that screws up Zabina's plan because he blows up his bombs, Isaac, that he set up that that was played off as a punchline earlier that he was going to have to take down. But he, he blows them up across the ship and, you know, throws everyone into confusion. Zabini is like, what's going on? And then Tobia rushes in. <laughs> Zabini tries to shoot him, but he headbutts Zabine. And then this other Crossman Vanguard guy, who's, I guess, loyal to, to Bera and loves to throw knives, yeah. he throws a knife at Zabine and it goes through his hand, which looks very painful. Yeah. <laughs> and then Tobia bites Zabine. Yeah, he, like, sprouts fangs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Bites very, his like, Should be, like, drawing, yeah. So Zabine is getting his ass kicked here. I think Zabine then retreats and Kincaid goes after him. And now the Death Gale Squadron is launching, which can't be good for our heroes. And the, the Jupiter Empire ship, which as you said is called the Jibia, Karis calls it a mobile ship and it starts to transform Isaac. And last time when we were talking about Volumes 1 and 2, you said some of these designs belong in Outlaw Star. And you know what? <laughs> this ship turns into like a grappler ship from, from Outlaw Star. And I, I was reading this and I was like, well... Now we're really outlaw starring here. Exactly, yeah. It has like a pincer on the rear side of the ship, and it opens up and attaches to the... Uh, what's the name of the crossbow vanguard? Uh, Mother vanguard. Mother vanguard, of course. <laughs> so now they're latched on, Brian. They're not going anywhere. It's not looking good for the mother vanguard. I mean, they, they don't have a working sail. They've only got really one Gundam left because the Bine's leaving, and they've got three of these Death Gale squadron suits launching. And they just got tackled by this ship. Oh, and then Karis says, I'm going out too. And don't use the gas until Bernadette's safe. So now they might get gas too, Isaac. This this is an unwinnable situation here. You know, someone's going to have to pull it out of their ass. Yeah, this Jibia is a pretty powerful ship. So Zabine and Kincaid are dueling outside in the crossbones. But they're interrupted by the Death Gale squadron who land on the Mother Vanguard in in their crazy-ass looking suits. We've got the Quavarza, the Abajo and the Tortuga, which I assume is probably, should be called the Tortuga. I would assume so, <laughs> based on its obvious turtle-like appearance. Yes. 
uh, Geary, the leader, is in the Quavarja, which is this, I don't know, how would you describe these things, Isaac? Oh, boy. It's a mobile suit with extremely long, snake-like arms. Yeah, and it's got this really big head spike, and it has a whip with a saw at the end. That's not kind. And uh, Rosemary Raspberry in the, in the Abajo, that one kind of looks like an oversized Jupiter Empire spacesuit to me. Yeah, it's very small, thin. I think it has like one rapid-fire gun on like one arm. But it is a teeny tiny skinny petite mobile suit. And then Burns, of course, is in the Totuga, which is just this massive turtle looking. It doesn't even look like a mobile suit to me. It looks like a Zord from Power Rangers. <laughs> That's a good analysis, right? It'd be like a turtle Zord or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this thing looks big enough to be a ship. It's pretty large. <laughs> you could probably put a Gundam inside it. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, it's 4v1 now. You've got the Death Gale. And Zabine versus Kincaid. So I wrote down, com- Kincaid is completely effed. <laughs> like, what is he going to do here? Yeah. It's about to get worse, though, because they're going to start attacking. Oh. So the Abajo shoots these needles. Apparently, it's themed after a bee, so I guess it's, like, stinging. Guvarza, again, has the whip with the saw. Geary cuts the anti-beam cloak off with the saw. The issue here is that the Guvarza has a, a longer close-range attack than Kincaid does, so he can't really get close enough to attack Geary at all. He tries to get close enough, and he's almost there, but Burns gets in the way and turns on this massive beam shield on his back, blocking Kincaid's attacks. So Kincaid really has no way to do anything at this point. Uh, Some Zondos come out to help. Kincaid's like, that's a terrible idea. Don't come over here. And one Zondo is very brave and goes up and stabs the Tortuga, but a sticky goo comes out of the hole where he stabbed him and glues the Zondo to the Tortuga, and basically, you know, leaves him a sitting duck and just he just gets smashed and, and uh, killed by the by Burns. What do you think of the, the sticky stuff? It's kind of brilliant, I guess, in a way, right? It's very Jupiter Empire, right? You yeah. don't have to, like, attack the hostage if you want to get to the Tortuga. <laughs> exactly. And Geary at this point reveals that, hey, these three suits that you're fighting right now were designed specifically to combat the Crossbone Vanguard. And as she says that, she cuts off both of the X-1's arms. Wow. Now Kincaid has no arms and can't attack, and they are all charging him. So he's basically surviving on his Vulcans, evasive maneuvers, and like weird weapons like his foot knives. And uh, he's trying to break their formation. I don't know, Isaac. I was like, this is bad. It's not going well. No, it's not. We're dealing with uh, the first anti-Gundam squad. Zabine ends up having to retreat. Karis asks him to retreat, you know, with the X-2 Zabine can't really fight that well because his hand is still hurt from that knife that went through it. I think he's having trouble pushing the, you know, the controller. Tobia, being Tobia, charges in with his axe face, Pez Batala, and tries to stab the, the Tortuga, but not even the, the axe face of the Pez Batala can go through the Tortuga's beam shield. And so Kincaid and Tobia, you know, fly away a little bit to regroup, and Kincaid's like, hey, Tobia, how many of those traps did you put on this ship? What can we do here? We gotta, we gotta figure out a way to, to get out of this. Kincaid's starting to figure out that each one of the Death Gale squad is better than the Crossbone in one way, but not other ways. So he needs to figure out a way to attack their weaknesses. What follows Isaac is probably one of the better examples of why Kincaid is such a great pilot. Would you agree with that? Yeah, he's gonna have to outthink these guys. Since they're working as a group, there's only one of him. Fortunately, they aren't that aware, to my knowledge that there's been some explosives placed around the Mother Vanguard, and 
he puts his plan in action, Brian, to, to take him down and surprise him. I thought this next sequence was pretty good. I really commend the author. It's pretty complicated to do this in a comic format. Right. Without motion to convey what's happening here. And I thought he did pretty well. This is a pretty complicated sequence here. You know, Kincaid tells Toby to get ready with the explosives and uh, his thruster antics. And basically, he realizes that the Abajo is really fast, but its attacks can't actually fatally damage the crossbone. So when the Abajo attacks, he just takes it. And now Rosemary's, like, confused because she's like, well, this dude didn't, he didn't do anything. He just didn't care about my attack. So she has to get out of the way. And when she gets out of the way, that surprises Geary because Geary was behind her. And now Kincaid's leading with his knife foot, and she's about to get stabbed. And so she has to get out of the way of the knife foot because she was surprised. She didn't think that, you know, he would be able to get through the Abiho. So she gets out of the way. So Burns is left, and he tries to turn on the shield, but Kincaid knows that Geary was going to have to move, so he knows that Burns was going to turn on the shield, so he just goes and gets behind Burns instead, and then pushes him into the mast, or slash the sail, and then Toby, he has Toby fire the thrusters to turn on the sail, and because the beam shield is on the Tortuga, it, like, cuts off the sail, the sail falls onto the jibia, which was holding on to the Mother Vanguard, if you remember, with the grappling arms. And because the beam sail turned on, like, the beam sail is now cutting into the jibia, just, like, causing massive damage to basically everybody everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, it's a massive beam weapon, essentially. (laughs) It's uh, very creative. I I I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, and unfortunately for Burns, when they designed the Tortuga, they put spikes on the back. So, Mm -hmm. like, when it rams into something or gets forcibly rammed into something it sticks in it <laughs> yeah he couldn't get away this, no. this poor dude i kind of feel like burns deserves something better than the totuga but i don't know he clearly didn't have a choice because he met karis and karis kind of pretty much told him this is what's happening <laughs> welcome to your new squad i know you're probably really prefer our other mobile suits that you've logged countless hours in but we're putting <laughs> you in this this flying tank yeah that like doesn't move very well yeah let alone attack it's essentially a wall he's moving a wall he, he didn't do a whole lot of attacking exactly yeah i think i feel like he's underused on that squad or in, in the Tortuga yeah. at least yeah he wasn't too thrilled about having to answer to uh jerry either definitely not so it's not going off the jibia but karis just up and boards the the uh, mother vanguard himself and steals bernadette in the most evil looking spacesuit ever did you see that thing isaac yeah yeah he <laughs> He made a custom black suit. Yeah. You know, I was scared, and I'm just reading the thing. Is there anything this guy can't do, Isaac? He- no. Like, he, his degree is in, like, evil adaptability because <laughs> he is a professor. Yeah, he's like the John Wick of, uh, you know, the Jupiter Empire. Yeah. And let me just say, back to what you're commenting about the normal suits of the, of the Jupiter Empire. My God, they're like a... Even the white ones are sinister design. They, it's those helmets, man. It, they're, they're very, yeah. I don't know, alien looking? Yeah, exactly. Yes, a very angular kind of curved alien looking helmet. And the proportions aren't very human looking. Like the normal right. suits we normally see throughout the UC, they're very much... Well, actually, even other timelines. You can draw a parallel to what's astronauts cosmonauts and you know tychonauts use now but um man this is like streamlined evil (laughs) (laughs) they remind me of um do you know that aquaman villain black manta yeah they kind of look like that okay i was gonna say yellow jacket from like ant-man 
Oh, yeah, that too, too. Yeah. Watch out. Fortunately for Kincaid, now that the Jibia has taken a, a beam sail to the body, their ship is basically running out of power, and it's questionable now whether they can catch up to the Jupitris. The Death Gale squadron is ordered back to the Jibia, so they have to retreat, and Kincaid is, is left alive. Tobia, he sees that Karis is stealing Bernadette, so he goes after him. He grabs Karis, thinking that he's won, and Karis just blows off the, the fingers of the Pesbatala with some grenades. And then he throws another grenade at the cockpit. Kincaid thinks Toby's dead. Toby opens the cockpit door, and he gets shot by Karis, Isaac, like through the heart, basically. Were you shocked to see Toby get shot? Pretty much. I mean, I thought they were going to do the classic, you know, hero gets shot in the shoulder, hero gets shot in the arm, but this goes straight into his chest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not nice. So Karis said something interesting here. So we've been seeing a lot of Karis now in this, like, chapter. Right before, right after he shoots Toby, he says, your professor is not the enemy, and then, like, maybe shoots him. I noticed here that Karis has the same nose as Dogati. Do you think there's a connection there? Like, is Karis going to be some sort of bio unit or early, like, is he a brother of Dogati or something? That's interesting. Do you think he's the real Dogati? Oh. I've thought about that, too. I'm not sure. I think it's possible. But this yeah. is, it was such a close shot, I realized that he has the same nose. And it's a very distinct nose. Okay. For the rest of the series, Brian, we got to put our money on one or the other. What is it? <sighs> same character or? Um, I don't know. I think he's definitely connected, but I'm not sure. I'll double down and go different. You say same. Okay. Because you caught it. So All right. We'll see who's I'll right. with it. Okay. So we weren't given a lot of time here, but Tobia pretty much wakes up and he's chained to a wall. So right, right away we know that he didn't die. So maybe that was a little bit wasted of you know potential there. But it turns out that Karis actually didn't leave him out there to die. He actually took him to the Jupitris. Here Karis r- reveals that Tobia is going to be executed tomorrow. Uh, in the classic, you know, let's not kill the good guy right when we have the chance. We'll kill him at some later time. Karis presents Bernadette to Crux in a new aquarium. Bernadette's acting a little feisty here. She, you know, she refuses to talk to him. Uh, I believe she calls him a mechanical puppet and demands to see her real father. But then in a weird scene, very creepy, four more Cruxes come out and they all say they are the real thing. And how could, you know, how would you even know to pick the real one? I was like, number one, I mean, this poor girl, <laughs> because I imagine she had some relationship with her father in the past and it was probably healthy right right or at least closer to healthy than what's happening now correct <laughs> but um it also seems so weird that he would have all of them in the same spot i thought that was a very much a shortcoming like a, a potential problem for him if each of these little clones are essentially three seconds away from being lowered into view all in the same room <laughs> yeah i wonder if they're all in that room i suppose they all have to be on the jupiteris at least yeah i mean he booked it or I guess if he was smart, he would have left one back on Jupiter. I don't know. I, I think it's implied by now that they're all with the ship. Yeah, well, I agree. We're in the end game. yeah. She asks him to stop the invasion of Earth, like that's going to happen at this point. He then tells her, do you really think that's actually what I'm doing? He says, I don't even really want to invade Earth. We don't need their, their air, their water. None of our air and water comes from Earth now. So to control, I think he says to control mankind, the earth isn't necessary. So to me, it sounds like he's just going there to kill everyone on it, Isaac. I don't even think he wants earth anymore. Yeah, I'm still confused at his overall goals. We have so many questions, Brian. Why is he underwater? 
<laughs> like what why is he saying he doesn't need earth but they're sending poison earth i mean if everything's fine on jupiter why even worry about earth or be involved in all this if you're fine without it and then more to the point i mean burns is clearly operating under the idea that they're going to earth because of how good earth has it oh absolutely He's said that multiple times. I assume other officers and members of the military and the society are all buying that same propaganda. So what is the whole point of these, of this massive ship going to earth? Yeah, that's that's a good point. I don't know. Maybe I need to reread that section, but I I think, I think I agree with you. No, I think, I think you picked everything up. It's just, we haven't been revealed Crux's whole vision and plot. I feel like Crux's vision coming true doesn't really benefit anyone. No, it might not even benefit him. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm not sure why he's doing it then, but we'll, well, I guess we'll find out when they get there. We've reached levels of insanity not yet seen in Gundam villains. <laughs> true, true. Maybe Rao. <laughs> Rao was pretty out there by the end of it. Well, he went a little nuts, but Crux is a lot of nuts. <laughs> <laughs> we we flash Zabine getting whipped by uh, Giri, or Giri. So clearly Zabine's plan of like them letting him into leadership it's not really working out. If he knew what we did about the Jupiter Empire, this would be very expected. Yeah. <laughs> so he's sticking to his guns, though. He keeps saying about he wants to start an aristocracy. He generally wants to work with the Jupiter Empire and all that. But um, I think Gary says, well, you know, we have to keep beating him because, like, we couldn't trust him otherwise. <laughs> Even if he is telling the truth, <laughs> we, have to, <laughs> we have to be convinced. <laughs> Rosemary tells Burns here that Gary receive some new type training. So are we to assume that Gary is a cyber new type? Probably, or if they're not doing the whole cyber thing in the Jupiter Empire, she's at least been given like what that crossbow mechanic said, where you're either put in a situation or some type of uh, event happens where you get new typed. <laughs> I mean, she's kind of out there, so cyber would kind of fit. She's a, she's a little wacky, like Gunigas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Gune was like pretty sane for compared to some of the cyber new types too, so. I guess so, but I don't know. He's bit off a lot more than he could chew. <laughs> Poor Gune. Turns out Toby has to fight in this Colosseum, Isaac, which they've built this whole Colosseum thing into the Jupiteris, which is pretty amazing. Also seems like a weird use of resources. But it's a weird scene here, right? Karis actually wants him to win so that he can become his student again. It's a little strange. Yeah, Karis, I guess he thinks if he wins, he'll be able to convert him over to the Jupiter Empire side. But um, <laughs> I don't know if Karis knew who he would be fighting <laughs> in the Coliseum or what <laughs> he would be fighting, I should say. Because clearly everybody, including uh, Dogady, because Dogady's there, should have assumed this would go one way very quickly. <laughs> yeah, his opponent rises from the floor and it's the X2 it's not like a person. It's going to be Tobia himself versus a mobile suit. Not only, not any mobile suit, a Gundam. And at that point, I was like, oh, this is bad. It's worse than bad. It's piloted by Geary, one of the Death Gale <laughs> uh, squadron members, or the leader of the Death Gale squad. Oh, I think it's piloted by Rosemary. Oh, Rosemary, sorry. Well, they uh, Rosemary sorry. Raspberry. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's going to squeeze him like a raspberry. <laughs> oh, before this in the Coliseum. Uh, back at the torture scene with Zabine, Burns is in the room, and he is clearly not on team torture. <laughs> oh, that's right. This is great character development for Burns, showing that he's maybe the most human, well, yeah, so far, the only human <laughs> member of the Jupiter Empire. Like, he generally doesn't, isn't down with torture or needless slaughter or anything like that. 
So I'm really hoping that with this shows that we're inching towards Burns becoming a uh, one of the good guys and uh, fully joining our, our good team. Yeah, I mean, I think he's just not really in love with his team. I don't think he's really going to like Zabine. And I think once he realizes that Dogati just wants to kill everyone on Earth, I don't see a lot of reason for him to stick around. Yeah, he's kind of, I don't know, doing it for his son's memory at this point. Right. Brian, what did you think of our first human versus Gundam Coliseum <laughs> battle in, I think, any Gundam lore or any Gundam content? Well, I think Tobia really got it done. He beat all the odds. If you were betting on Tobia, you just you became a billionaire. Yeah. If you questioned him being a new type before, oh man, only a new <laughs> type could pull off this impressive victory against a Gundam being just on foot. Rosemary pins him like under the hand, you know, which is pretty par for the course. I mean, what are you going to do, yeah. right? And Tobia ends up shooting between the fingers of the of the X2 to trigger a right. decoy balloon, which we haven't even seen in this show up until now. And then he rides on the balloon and jumps onto the X2's head and blows up the balloon so that it covers the head in the camera. So Rosemary, because she can't see, she then opens the cockpit like an idiot, and Tobia ambushes her and steals the <laughs> X2 from her. <laughs> Before she opens the cockpit, though, Karis stands up in the audience and says, you idiot, don't open the cockpit. <laughs> Again, we should always listen to Karis if people have learned nothing in this series. Yeah. I mean, I assume the Jupiter Empire thought this would be a very quick and easy execution, right? Because yes. they had like nobody communicating with uh, Raspberry. Yeah. But this is another similarity with Star Wars. Now you've got the Coliseum scene yeah. where small guy fights big guy and small guy wins. Yeah, it was very much fight the Rancor in Return yep. of the Jedi, mm-hmm. except the Rancor was horribly embarrassed <laughs> <laughs> and then hijacked. <laughs> so now with the X2 in his possession, Tobia grabs Bernadette, and then he sends the X2 like out of the Jupiter's 9. The Jupiter Empire crew like scrambles to go catch it, but they get all nervous because there's not enough time. Why were they like upset about it or something? Well, Do you remember he this? took the princess, right? Oh, yeah, because they thought the princess... Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, the princess was... He picked up the princess and put her in the cockpit. Crux, you know, he took his little tube down and escaped. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what Karis did. Karis probably booked it since there's not a lot he could do in the Coliseum. So, yeah, everyone's scrambling. They technically can't shoot at the Gundam because the princess is inside. They sent after their ugly little Ogu ball versions, the Jupiter versions of those, but they still didn't even open fire. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what the equivalent is. There's, they're limited on what they can do <laughs> to stop yeah. this mobile suit in their, their main ship. That's right. But if you're paying attention to detail here, Isaac, as a reader, you'll notice that the X-2 that left the ship no longer had its crossbones on its back, which means one thing, Isaac. It means the crossfighter is somewhere else, Brian. Ooh, they did a big bait and switch. That Tobia, always a smart kid. It was a feint, you know, so he sent the suit out, but he exited the suit in the crossfighter. You know, him and Bernadette are preparing to escape in, in this fighter. Burns is skeptical. He suspects that perhaps Tobia did not just go out in the X2. And he ends up finding Tobia and Bernadette working on the core fighter. And Burns actually lets Tobia go, but demands that Bernadette stay. And uh, Bernadette actually wants to stay, she says like a fool that she's gonna stay to try to convince her father you know toby blasts off and says you know i'll see you on earth three days later we're just told that oh by the way the crossbone vanguard retrieved the the core fighter 
and you know Tobia must have gotten away. <laughs> the benefits of being a new type. Yeah, it's all in all a very successful you know trip for for Tobia. Yeah, he uh, escaped, and they got back the core fighter, the cross fighter. Bernadette's gonna stay on with the Jupiteress and. Gosh, she seems really limited in what she can do, but whatever. If she thinks this is best, maybe it'll pay off. So Toby gets back to the Crossman Vanguard. He tells Bear what happened. She goes on a little bit of a rant saying that, you know, space noids have become, you know, used to their surroundings. I don't think I really understood what, what was happening at this point. They were debriefing him, and she was kind of thinking, well, maybe Crux is thinking... Yeah, humanity is clearly doing well in space. We don't really need Earth anymore to an extent. So what what could the possibly the ultimate goal of this plot be? She was kind of thinking out loud to an extent, trying to put herself in Dogey's mind, I think. It didn't really help, though, because we're no closer to understanding his plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And so at this point, I think the, the Crossman Vanguard has given up on fixing the sail. So they know that they have at least two and a half months to get to Earth from where they are now. So the Jupiter Empire is, with certainty, going to beat them there, which is bad, right? It doesn't give them an opportunity to talk first. So this dude's going to show up to, to Earth, representing the Jupiter Empire, and basically screw it all up for them before they get there. And we see that immediately, because when we flash to them reaching Earth, they've basically already lost a bit, because Crux, not only did he get there first, but he's introduced himself already as an ambassador of the Jupiter Sphere, Isaac, as a very dignified individual. Yes, he's got this big smile on. He's shaking hands, kissing babies, doing his little photo op. They probably put him on like Time Magazine or something, right? Oh, yeah. He's playing the political game here. He's all smiles in front of the camera. Uh, Barry gets a call. Who's the call from, Isaac? Just a family member. The call is from another member of the Rona family. It's a character we haven't seen before. A character that's, according to Barra, She's in charge of a separate branch of the family that still holds on to the idea of forming an aristocracy, but at the same time, they don't necessarily seem too focused on seizing a bunch of territory, um, definitely by not by using force. And the way this character presents herself, what her name is, uh, Sheridan? Sherry? Right? Yeah, Sherindan. I guess Barra calls her Sherry, which is pretty funny. Nicknamed Sherry, her subordinates address her as Princess Sherry. She's definitely going for the civilian vibe because she wears a very formal dress. She's not in a military uniform like Barra used to wear in F91. She's very much presenting herself as a, a civilian aristocrat with um, crossbone troops loyal to her. And she has an identical ship to the Mother Vanguard, Brian. She does. The Eos Nix. Is that how you would say that? The Eos? Eos? Yeah, I'm not sure what that translates to in Latin or Greek, though. I, something night? I don't know. Yeah. Eternal night? Who knows? Probably. <laughs> yeah, the Eos Nix, we'll go with that. But apparently it's unarmed because it's being used as a messenger ship for the Butch Concern, Isaac. This is the first shout-out to the Butch Concern that we've gotten. Which, for our listeners, the Urona family that we first learned about in F91, that's not their original name. Their original name was Butch. And the Butch Concern was a corporation they owned, a... They focused on uh, specialized in salvage operations. That's how they made their money. And they eventually purchased the aristocratic name, Rona, and used that as their claim to be aristocrats and kick off everything in F91. The Butch Concern used their private training academy and mobile suit forces to form the Crossbone Vanguard in F91. 
And then Tobia has a conversation with the mechanic guy about how aristocracy makes no sense because the elite provide no evidence about why they are elite. And I thought that was a great point of view from a young outsider who has nothing to lose in this situation. <laughs> he, he did make some good points, but I think the mechanic kind of shut him down a bit too, right? And so did Bear. <laughs> yeah, they were like, it's not how the world works, kid. Yeah, they're like, yeah, sure, a long time ago, someone just kind of made themselves an aristocrat. But on this ship, at least, be wiser about expressing your thoughts because someone on this ship that's loyal to the old ideals of Cosmo Babylonia or at least remembers fighting during F91 might not take too kindly to those words. It's becoming clear that Sherry has a thing for Tobia. She senses his new type potential. She wants to collect Tobia. It sounds like she's a collector of talented people, as she says. And she wants Bear to stop fighting and negotiate. Uh, but Bear obviously doesn't want to do that. The problem here is that Sherry told Bear that she had supplies for her. So that's that was the premise under which they met. However, now yeah. Sherry is saying, look, I'm not going to give you these supplies, which, by the way, includes a third crossbone Gundam, the X3, unless you stop fighting and negotiate. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> because she basically believes that if you keep fighting, if you even if you defeat the Jupiter Empire, another force will show up one day, not so long after. The real key to peace is, you know, a future led by new types. And so I need people like Tobia to lead the future without fighting. God, Sherry is such an interesting character and such an interesting antagonist, right? She has like this princess kind of angelic looking appearance. But this whole time she's talking to Barra, she's kind of keeping her eyes closed and staying very poised and arrogant. She's a very uh, cerebral villain to face off against. And... It's interesting that you chose the word villain because she's going to do the exact same thing that Zabine just did to them. And who does she call, Isaac? She calls the Federal Forces. (laughs) (laughs) A huge fleet. (laughs) Yeah, they don't just show up with one ship. They've got a whole bunch. And they've they've brought multiple Gundam F-91s with them. Yeah, and also balls, <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> it's got a lot of those laying around. I don't know. They brought the, the C team. <laughs> they were like, well, what do we have in reserve in the area that can back up the EOS Knicks? Uh, <laughs> some fleet with balls. Sure, send them out. <laughs> Bera, to her credit, realizes that this is not a winnable situation, right? I mean, they had to fight Karis's ship because he was going to attack them. They don't have to fight the Federation, right? They're severely outnumbered. Uh, the Federation's probably not going to fire on them unless they fire on the Federation. And she knows they have no chance of winning, so she tells the crew, thanks for all your help, but escape on your own when they can so you aren't punished for being pirates. And then she kind of has right. this breakdown. She goes and hugs Kincaid. And it's not looking good for the Crossman Vanguard. And not only that, but T- Toby is now locked in to the Eos Knicks with Sherry. He's got nowhere to go. He's not even on the Mother Vanguard anywhere. And I think I see at least three F-91s and Kincaid's looking at him, and he's in his mind, he's going through, like, can I win this battle? Like we talked about last week, guys, you know, the, the Crossbones, they don't have VSBRs, even though they're based on the F-91 to some degree, right? They're the F-97. So there's no, they have no bits, no VSBRs. They're very close combat oriented. So Kincaid's looking at these F-91s out there flying around. He's saying, well, look, they have VSBRs. We don't have any of that. And those are still a very powerful weapon even today. It feels like we're reaching a, a point in mobile suit technology where, like, weapons are pretty good, and they're going to be good for a while. Like, the VSBR is 10 years old, and it's still a force to be reckoned with here. Yeah. I wonder how much of that is that there hasn't really been an answer to it, right? True. Like, they didn't yeah. develop new shields to it, and I don't think they said the beam cloaks, the beam cloaks won't make you invulnerable to it either. 
So you, right, you still yeah. try to avoid getting hit. Yeah. So I'm not sure what they can invent in future content that was like that can kind of rock paper scissors the the variable speed beam rifle. But maybe they'll invent something. We'll see. Yeah. So then things go from bad to worse, Isaac, because the X2 shows up out of nowhere and takes out uh, a Federation capital ship with a few shots. We went from suck to blow. (laughs) (laughs) Immediately, the Federation looks at this, sees that a Crossbone Gundam just took out their ship, and immediately blames the Crossbone Vanguard. And I guess that makes sense from the Federation perspective, right? This is a pretty genius tactic by Zabine and Crux. Uh, Now the Crossbone Vanguard, they're going to get attacked by the Federation uh, from all all angles. So Kincaid and the Zondos head out. I mean, there's, there's nothing else for them to do, right? Yeah, at this point, it's time to start fighting. You know, the Federation is going to attack you because they assume you're responsible. you got to fight this whole fleet. Now we're going to get a juicy fight scene here, Isaac, in terms of, like, your fandom, right? You want to you wanna see different Gundams fight each other? Well, now we're going to see the, the Crossbones or the, or the F-97 fight an F-91. I was pretty excited to read these chapters. Yeah, I wasn't expecting the F-91 to do great, though, just because of the fact that Crossbones are newer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So Kincaid engages his first F-91, and he cuts through its beam shield with the Zanber. He then cuts another F-91's arm off, but then he gets shot in the back, Isaac, by a darker F-91. Oh, oh, no. Custom color scheme. You know me, I like my custom color scheme ace pilots, right? That's right. It's just manga, right? So it's black and white. You can tell that it's a darker color, but you don't actually know what color it is. Turns out that it's, it's actually like a... A darker purple, like a hazy dark purple, Isaac. It's kind of like the old Titans color, but more purple rather than blue. Okay. All right. I'll buy it. Yeah, it's a pretty good uh, color scheme for the F-91, I think. I'm pretty sure the guy's name is going to end up being Captain Harrison, although I don't think we learn his name in, in this volume. No. So he shoots Kincaid in the back. He flies by and he says, hey, you're pretty good for a pirate and that, you know, I'm going to be your opponent. So the F-91 and the X-1 both release their face heat at the same time, which I thought was a great shot. It was very, like, <laughs> menacing. That would be cool if it was animated, don't you think? Yeah. Anything with the F9s, we always have to see the whole uh, the whole flash heat silhouette thing that happens. We then flash over to the Mother Vanguard, which is taking heavy damage, right? Just getting bombarded by these clops. And then the Jupiter Empire forces show up with the Death Gale squadron out in front. So we've gone from, like, bad to, like, suck to just complete blow. Is that where we're at now, Isaac? Yes, we're at maximum blow, Brian. And here they come. <laughs> Death Gale, reinforcements, Federation's happy to see them. Harrison and Kincaid are clashing. Kincaid has to use his beam shield. Kincaid says, you know, you're the first person to ever make me use my beam shield, which is true. We haven't seen him use it the whole, the whole time, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a special event. <laughs> <laughs> so to get in close, Kincaid throws both of his beam shields out in front. Harrison shoots through them with the VSBR, but Kincaid then stops the VSBR beam with his Zanber, basically a third beam shield. So he it took three layers of beam shields to block the VSBR shot, which just totally takes uh, Harrison by surprise. Kincaid takes this opportunity to boost in. He cleaves off Harrison's arm, leg, and I think both of his VSBRs. And then Harrison you know, says, all right, well, finish me off. But Kincaid declines. He puts his Zanber away. He says, you're not my enemy, and he flies away. To go help the Mother Vanguard confront the Death Gale squad. And uh, I think Harrison realizes immediately, he's like, oh, these pirates are different. They have skills and, what does he say? Like, not character, but... Uh, Honor or something like that. Something like yeah. that, yeah. I'm hoping we see more of uh, Captain Harrison in these F-91s in, in the future volumes. 
I hope he plays a role in convincing the Federation, or at least turning the tide at the right moment, that clearly the Jupiter Empire is evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And at this point, Isaac, I think we, we have to give some recognition to, to uh, Kincaid, or Seabook, whatever you want to call him. He, at this point, I think he's proven himself to be an excellent pilot, definitely up there, in, in my opinion, in terms of raw skill and like resourcefulness. Maybe not like his new type ability, per se, but if we think about what he did with the Death Gale Squadron and now with how he beat the F-91's VSBR with basically a sword, I mean, this, this dude's a pretty great pilot. I think he's out Zabinade. Zabinade. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. Right. We haven't seen Zabine do a ton that was impressive other than like scheming, right? Like the Correct. trick to get the Federation to attack the Mother Vanguard and the trick to do the mutiny. That's about Zabine's strongest points. Not at this point, he's been outclassed by Seabook. Right, exactly. So if we flash over to the Jupiter's nine, Dugati's there, and he's gonna make Bernadette Sortie in an automated mobile armor called the Elegalea. And his logic here is that I don't care if you die, but this makes for a great story if my daughter goes off and fights the pirates and and wins. But and even if you die, it just boosts the Jupiter Empire morale because they'll want revenge. So it's a win-win for me. It's very Mitzerona, right? Like an F-91 when he told Cecily, like, I th- well, maybe he didn't tell Cecily. Oh, no, I think it was Carozo that mentioned that if Cecily dies in combat, uh, Mitzer won't complain because it'll be a glorious death and they can propagand it. This is this is sick and twisted, Isaac. It's an automated mobile armor. She doesn't even have to be in it. She doesn't. She's not going to do anything. She's going to sit there. You know, she should have brought a book or a magazine. You know, <laughs> while the battle's happening, until they recall her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, back on the EOS Nix, Toby is skulking around, and he's found by Sherry, who tells him that he's a new type like her, and she knows that he won't make it back to the mo- to the Mother Vanguard before it's destroyed because she's a new type. And, and instead, she would like him to think about the future instead of wasting his life in this battle with people that wanted to solve things by fighting. Tobia doesn't like this notion of leaving others behind, and so he says uh, something like, being human is enough. And then he punches her in the face, Isaac. This, this girl in her elaborate dress, as you said, just punches her right in the face. She had it coming, Brian. <laughs> she, was, she was going off about new types and how there's not enough of them and how old types are kind of cursed to not communicate and keep fighting and, and how this just needs to happen. They need to take down the crossbone vanguard. And he wasn't having any of that, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> he said absolutely not, and he made a fist. Wham, right in the kisser. And then he does something very extreme, Isaac. He steals one of her guard's knives and cuts his own arm and then he goes and drips his blood in her hands. He doesn't really say anything, though, when he's doing it. He just kind of walks away, and she says, it's fine, let him go. Is this his way of saying the blood of the people who die here today is on your hands? Because you're not going to help? Yeah, it's it's his way of just visually showing her, I think, that you know, you're clearly involved and responsible for all this happening, too. You know, The whole reason we're fighting is pretty much because you lied about the purpose of meeting, then you didn't tell us that the Federation was coming. And then we assumed that you told the Jupiter Empire we would be here. So now they're here fighting. So. <laughs> yeah, you screwed everyone, lady. Yeah, the blood is completely on your hand. This, I mean, as much as what she did was wrong, it was also pretty brilliant, <laughs> right? Yeah, for her goal, it was brilliant. I mean, everyone's going to die because of it, but sure. At this point, Sherry's up there with Dogady as far as like, you know, strategy and the, the whole level to outthink your enemies. And so Tobia leaves, and he steals 
the Crossbone X3, which is now, I assume, going to be his unit for the rest of the show. And this poor dude has been has been piloting that crappy Pez Batal this whole time. So it's about time that uh, he got a better unit, Isaac. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> good. It's been long deserved, right? Yeah. The X3 has a different color scheme than the other two. The X1 is kind of like mainly white with black accents. The X2 is all black. The X3 is white with with blue accents, so it, it looks more like a normal protagonist Gundam Isaac, you know, with the with the blue and the red and the white. Just in time for the showdown. <laughs> yeah, it's a clear sign of who the the real protagonist is coming to be in this series. So uh, that's and that's kind of where we leave off in Volume Four. Toby has escaped the Eos Nix. He's blown a hole in it with the X3. He's gonna go help Kincaid, presumably fight the Death Gale Squadron, and I guess pretty much everyone else in the Federation that's on the battlefield. Didn't get a huge look at the X3. I mean, it was on the what, like the last two pages, but I assume we're going to be seeing yeah. a lot more of that in, in the last two volumes here. I hope it has anti-Jupiter Empire weapons. They've been <laughs> working on it. Yeah, that's right. The, the, the mechanics said during those two and a half months that they would build yeah. some weapons to help uh, against the Death Gale Squadron, but we haven't seen them yet. I guess that's because there was, this was such an ambush? Yeah, I mean, or maybe he rushed it out. But in any case, he was talking about how, you know, weapons will start from ideas you know, and yeah, we don't have a ton of resources on the ship to build stuff, but we got to do what we can because this is a war. We're going to see in volumes uh, five and six exactly what it's capable of. So overall, what do you think of volumes three and four, Isaac? We definitely got a lot of answers that we wanted from volumes one and two. I don't think we have all the answers yet, and the action definitely ratcheted up. So what do you think overall about them, and what are you hoping for out of five and six here? Overall, I describe these as great writing and the plot thickened. We got the introduction of another Rona. We got some great development with Zabine and the whole coup. We learned more about the Jupiter Empire. The setting has moved along and we're finally at Earth where things are probably about to get even more heinous and we're going to learn more about Cruxto Gay's mysterious plot. It's been a lot of really good developments, I think. I really enjoyed this this turn of events, and it really made me wish I was watching a series. I think one thing about this series that's been really good is the pacing, right? So when you started this series, you expected to see Zabine, you know, betrayal. Uh, you expected to see something massive to come of Dogati's plot. You expected to see Tobia come into his own. And I think we've accomplished all that in, in a relatively short amount of time. So it's not waiting too long to make its plays to you as the reader. I think it's. Uh, I think those developments have come along at a, at a very nice pace to kind of keep you invested and, and paying off for, for uh, reading this far. I was like super interested once I realized that we were going to move into the Earth sphere. I thought that was a good dynamic, a good story decision. Yeah, and they're keeping me guessing because I haven't read ahead to know what exactly happens. But now that now the whole plot is not there, they're actually not going to destroy the Earth sphere. Or they're not going to use the gas or whatever. They're not going to conquer it for the oxygen and the resources. So what the heck are they doing? And now we got this new faction of the old Rona family. What is Sherry going to do? They just had a quick skirmish with the Federation. Is the Federation going to be hunting them now? You know, how, is Harrison going to be able to turn that around? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> Anything can happen. That's what's good about this story so far. I don't know exactly what's coming up, but I know... Or in hope that it's going to be well-written and pretty interesting. Yep. So how many horrors would you give it, Isaac? Ooh, wow. Three and four? You know what? I kind of wish I could give, like, reviews at the end. Did we, did we already give horrors for one and two? 
We did. We gave, We each gave it a, a four out of five or eight out of ten. I'm gonna continue that and give it four out of five. Faros. Yeah, this was really well done. The only thing that kind of threw me for a loop was maybe Zabine's difference from him in F91 in here. It almost feels like a different character at this point, but you know, time has gone by. So I'm I'm willing to forgive that. Other than that, great mobile suits, great combat, great character development, setting changes, writing, plot. Um, I'm all aboard. Brian, how many horrors do you give volumes three and four of Mobile Suit Crossbone Gundam? I think I'm going to stick with my eight out of ten, just like you. Um, again, I think it it's kept our interest. Yeah, it's not gotten stale at all. I'm thinking back, like for example, we just watched Seed recently, and there were times in Seed where I was like, "Oh, this is kind of plodding along." I don't feel like this is plodding at all. I feel like we're moving at a, at a good pace, and things are constantly changing to keep you very interested, and they're changing in like good ways that we haven't seen like right like these volumes introduced the federation into the mix now we have this sort of three faction four factions if you count sherry as a separate faction conflict going on before it was a very clear bad guy versus good guy and now there's these other dynamics happening so uh, i think that's you know complicating the story in a good way and i'm excited to see how it concludes i have a feeling if it concludes strong you know it wouldn't be surprised if i move it up to a nine out of ten we're gonna give an end review in addition to the final two review but man, yeah, this is just such a really good series so far. It's a pity it hasn't been animated, Brian. I don't know, Isaac. I'm thinking we see it animated within 10 years. I hope so. I mean, why not? It's so loved by the fan base. It's got such great twists and turns. It'd be a lot of fun. The only thing is, like, I would want the animation to maybe not be the same style as this manga, you know? Yeah, I could, I could see that. I think you're going to get a split opinion on that. I think you just got to take a position and stick with it. You know, if you're going to do it in, in the style of the manga, then then go for it. No, I I think UC has pretty much solidified that they're going for a more realistic look. So you so you mean Toby is not going to bite Zabine's arm in that <laughs> in that scuffle? I doubt it. Yeah, that would really ruin the mood. I the tone <laughs> I think of the whole mutiny and coup. Yeah. <laughs> If if you told me at the beginning of the series that like there's going to be a, a Coliseum fight, I would have probably rolled my eyes and say this is going to be a crap series, Brian. Yeah. But it was done so well. I'm all aboard for whatever's next. It's a little out there, but you know what? That's what you get when you open the book with a, a pirate Gundam on the front. Yeah. It works. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed our review. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. We'll be back in a few weeks with our Volumes 5 and 6 review of Mobile Suit Crossbone Gundam. Until then, let us know what you think about Crossbone Gundam. Which one is your favorite out of the X1, X2, X3? Which is your favorite Death Gale Squadron suit? What do you think about Captain Harrison? Is that guy a badass? Do you like Captain Harrison better? Do you like Burns better? Do you hope Burns switches sides? Which Dogady is the real Dogady? <laughs> <laughs> How come Professor Karras is still wearing a suit, even though he's, like, in the Jupitress? <laughs> is J.K. Rowling a, a huge Gundam fan? Is Crux Dogady where she got her Horcrux idea? Oh, yeah. The missing connection. I don't know. Horcrux Dogady. <laughs> All right, listeners, don't forget, before you go to sleep tonight, stand next to your bed, salute that frame picture of Amaro Ray, the greatest of all time, and recite our Federation pledge. Into the night, Captain Bright, Londo Bell, Zeon Fell, Liberty and Justice, Amaro, trust us. You've said your farewell, now we'll give them hell. Good night, everybody.